there are definitely some patterns that we have found um, in successful companies. I personally believe that the team and having a strong team is one of the most important things we look for. Um, but it's hard to quantify that, right? It's hard to say, well, what makes a good team? Um, and we can talk more about that later. But, but I do think that, you know, for me, teams, the, the number one thing, it needs to be something unique. It needs to be something that is protected against others that maybe want to copy it. So whether that is something that's a trade secret or something that's um, mm. protected by IP, that's something that we really like to see. We also like to see um, that it is a company that is answering a problem and not a technology in search of a problem. And I think this one is the number one reason why most startups fail is that they have a great idea, but they are not solving a problem. It's more of a nice to have than a must have. If you are solving a problem, people will pay for your product. Welcome to the World Class Leaders Show. This is the one and only podcast for ambitious and high achievers, professionals who want to become world-class leaders. In this podcast, we deconstruct the success of high-performance leaders, share their stories, and teach the most effective strategies to move from average to greatness. This is your host, Andrea Petroni, a high-performance and leadership advisor, executive coach, and keynote speaker with more than 20 years of international and executive corporate experience. Welcome back to a new episode of the World Class Leader Show. And today I'm really excited to have with me someone that has the same name. Um, so Andrea Kors. And Andrea works for uh, Shell Ventures as venture principal, where she invested in innovative start and scale-up companies that accelerate the energy transition, focusing in the areas of machine learning, AI, robotics, and decarbonization. Currently, Andrea sits on the board of Innovats, a digital energy platform. Andrea has 15 years of experience in the energy sector as both technical SME and investor. Prior to joining Shell, Andrea worked as venture principal at Schlumberger Technology Investments. In addition, she's a speaker and gender equality advocate who supports minority-owned startups as founder and managing partner for course investments, as well as an advisory board member of the Business Angel Minority Association, BAMA. She holds a degree in engineering physics from the University of Central Oklahoma, in Master of Science from the University of Oklahoma in Aerospace Engineering and an Executive MBA from the University of Houston. That's super interesting. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. And I apologize. My voice is funny. I'm just going through what I hope is just a cold. I normally don't sound like this. <laughs> That's fine. No worries at all. Uh, we're looking for your ideas, first of all. So voice is Less, less Imagine I sound really nice. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. So Andrea, would you like to explain a little bit more about, first of all, who you are, you know, what's your story, and then we'll go a little bit into the topic. Absolutely. So, I mean, you did a really good job with the bio, and I will not bore you with that again, um, but I'll give you the story behind it, right? Yes. So I'm originally from Colombia in South America. Um, my dream was always to become an astronaut. So that's why I decided to do wow. physics and aerospace engineering. 
and I moved to Houston because I thought that was the right thing to do. Um, to my surprise, after I graduated with my master's, I found out that because I was not a US citizen or a permanent resident, I could not get a job anywhere in the aerospace industry. Oh, wow. So it was a bit of a shock um, after spending you know, eight years of my life trying to follow my dreams. Um, but fortunately, things always happen for a reason. And I ended up working in the energy space. Um, so my very first job was as a subsea engineer. So I was designing equipment for production in subsea fields. I got to go offshore. I got to work with robots. I got to design equipment for very harsh environments. So not quite aerospace, not quite sending stuff, you know, into uh, outer space, but um, it wasn't that that. Uh, that different. Instead of going up, we were going down. Yeah, down the hole. And yeah. uh, and it's a, it's actually an, an industry that has given me a lot. Um, I consider myself an environmentalist, so I love the fact that I am where I am and I can make a difference. Um, after working um, as an engineer for a few years, I moved into um, engineering, uh, research, new technology development. Um, and that led to startups, right? Innovation. Mm -hmm. Where do you get innovation, especially working for a big company? You tend to go outside. Um, and then that's when I decided to get my MBA. And as soon as I finished, I was lucky enough to get a job um, doing ventures for Slumberjay. And I've been doing ventures ever since. <laughs> um, and uh, we can get more into the details of that later on. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh such incredible stories a lot of sliding doors i think that what really happened to you which is quite normal i think now for i think for the number of opportunities also that you know we we come across during our career right and and i've been in your industry in the same industries for so many years so i understand you know how things might move very quickly and most of the time unexpectedly as well so i get where where you're coming from so Andrea, tell us a bit more about what you do now. So what is really Shell Ventures and why it has been created? The Shell Ventures um, is the venture capital arm for Shell. It was actually started back in 1998. It was yeah. one of the very first corporate venturing arms in the energy industry. Um, and the whole idea is to look for opportunities to invest we normally do minority investments into companies that are, you know, startups scaling, scaling up, um, we do growth funds. Um, we, we tend to really bring more than just a, a check, mm -hmm. right? So the whole idea of having a corporate investor um, is to have a strategic partner. So we invest in mainly three verticals. So what Shell Ventures invests in is what we call resources and environment, which covers decarbonization, not only of our products and processes, but our customers and where our products go. So as you know, Shell has a net zero goal by 2050, not only scope one and scope two, but also scope three. So that means we need to look for technologies that can help um, decarbonize sectors such as aviation, construction, uh, chemicals, um, you name it, um, we, we do have a pretty broad mandate, but we are looking for ways to reduce the, the carbon footprint of ourselves and our customers. Awesome. The second 
Second vertical is power and heat. So on the power and heat, we look at you know, things like wind and solar, energy storage, energy grid management. Um, and the last vertical is future of mobility. So that covers the, you know, the mobility systems of the future. What are they going to look like? What are the retail stations going to look like in the next 30 to 40 years? And what do we need to do today to remain relevant? Yeah, that's fascinating because I'm quite involved in these areas uh, in, in my in my own practice. But you know, the last one that that's you know, is very interesting, the e-mobility. So having an interesting conversation right now about how to scaling not much the technologies, but how scaling teams that working in a new industry, because most of the acquisitions, most of the merger, most of actually the, the startups in this industry they are coming from different market, different industries. So they mm. have a maybe some sort of challenge of understanding culturally, you know, what, how they need to change or address the new completely market. So that's interesting. Um, Andrea, <clears throat> I'm sure that many startups and, and, and scale up, they, they really would like to come to, to Shell because I mean, Shell is clearly, you know, one of the maybe top one, maybe top three, you tell me about oil companies in the world or energy companies, sorry. That's, I think it's more precise. Um, what is your, uh, criteria to uh, to decide to select what kind of startups or, or maybe founders you're looking for that's a really good question and i i wish it was black or white and i could <laughs> tell you this is exactly what we look for there are definitely some patterns that we have found um, in successful companies i personally believe that the team and having a strong team is one of the most important things we look for, um, but it's hard to quantify that, right? It's hard to say, well, what makes a good team? Um, and we can talk more about that later, but, but I do think that, you know, for me, teams, the, the number one thing, it needs to be something unique. It needs to be something that is protected against others that maybe want to copy it. So whether that is something that's a trade secret or something that's, um, protected by IP. That's something that we really like to see. We also like to see um, that it is a company that is answering a problem and not a technology in search of a problem. And I think this one is the number one reason why most startups fail is that they have a great idea, but they are not solving a problem. It's more of a nice to have than a must have. If you are solving a problem, people will pay for your product. And you will get customers and you will have traction. So that's kind of like the other things we look for is, you know, the, that sales backlog, that commercial traction. And of course, we want to make sure that um, the company we're investing, the companies we're investing in have a strong capitalization table mm. um, with other really good investors. So we have a very broad um, network of investors and we like to co-invest even with our competitors because in some cases it actually makes our risk lower and then mm-hmm. the success probabilities of the companies a lot higher. And, and, and by the way, that's quite normal anyway between oil or energy companies, right? So, you know, we, we come, both of us, from the upstream world where it's quite normal to make partnership and joint ventures between organizations, you know, when there is a field, when there are opportunities. So that's quite aligned, I think, with the normal way out this industry has evolved over time. You know, you mentioned the criteria in terms of technology, in terms of 
uh, uniqueness, you know, the, the UVP, the unique value proposition of these companies. But when it comes to, to their founders, right? So that if either they're already CEOs or they're maybe still into the founder description, what are you looking for in these people? So is there something specific that you're looking for? It's key to have a good team, right? What I have seen in the past is that you can have an idea that it hasn't been quite developed fully, but you have a team that is so good that they're able to pivot and turn the company into something completely different and still execute and be successful, right? So you need to have a team of people. I think, again, for me, team is the number one criteria. Do I believe these people have what it takes to take this company from point A to point B? even though we don't know what point B might be, right? They need to be resilient. They need to be able to put in the hard work. They need to be able to execute in very extreme conditions. So I have a huge, huge respect for founders and, and CEOs. Um, you mentioned um, second founders or you know repeat founders. I think that's great. Even if their previous company failed, I do believe that they must have learned something from that experience, right? So we do like to see these repeat CEOs, you know, the, the serial entrepreneurs the serial that they have one yeah. thing and then they sell it and then they try something else and then they sell it. Like usually, you know, these type of people just show you they're willing to put in the work. And, and in most cases, they have a lot of uh, lessons learned, right? Going from zero to 100 um, is pretty difficult. So it takes a very special type of people to do that. Um, and that's kind of like what we're looking for. Yeah. And uh, I think I, I've read this a few times uh, from other venture capitals, by the way. They, they share, I think, the same comment that you're sharing now. They said, you know, serial entrepreneurs is they are normally quite more attracting for us because although they fail, they've been through that process. So they know how to go to market. So, and I think that is an interesting indication. So what kind of founders you are uh, finding right now? Because, you know, we're facing quite dramatic uh, situation in the oil energy industry, right? So it's, a, it's more than that. Probably it's a tectonic shift, right? So but we're coming from a very traditionally conservative environment, the oil, the oil industry, and now we're moving into a very different uh, industry, although it's still related to energy. What did you notice in terms of type of skills, uh, besides the one that you mentioned, the, for the new founder? So in other words, is the, the energy transition mentality is driving a different type of founders comparing to, to the past? So... I think, again, to be a founder, you need to have lots of optimism and lots of confidence. So I think that that has changed. What I have seen um, with the energy transition is actually the fact that you have all these people, really bright people, leaving you know, the, the big majors, the big oil services companies, and starting their own company because they want to make a difference. Now, the beauty is that a lot of the skills are actually quite transferable, mm. right? So to give you an example, if you go from drilling a hole to get oil and gas from the ground versus doing geothermal, you know, the, the principles are the same, right? You are doing energy transition, um, but you are doing it for a better reason. And then they are starting their own companies and they put in a lot more work because it's their own thing. So 
I think it's actually a, a good thing. I have seen lots of the skills in the oil and gas industry or the energy industry that are very much transferable to startups in the energy transition, um, which is one of the reasons why I think, you know, um, Houston is a great place for clean tech mm -hmm. development, right? Because you have a lot of these people with really strong technical skills. And then you also have the capital. And then you also have that kind of like the city that's pushing to become not only oil and gas capital of the world, but the energy transition capital of the world. So, so you see, there's a lot of things that are happening in Houston. Yeah. And even with, for the city is a major transition because it's really moving from a typical oil city to something different. Right. So that's interesting development. Now, according to, to the work that you have done so far with the founders when these organizations that are part of the portfolio of Shell Ventures, did you notice maybe some interesting learning or takeaway from a leadership standpoint, something like a lessons of the way of leading their companies? I think to be a good leader, I've heard someone told me this once, you need to not be the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. If you are surrounded by people who are less smart than you, you're probably picking the wrong people on your team. So you need to make sure that, you know, that you are bringing people who know more than you do. And not only that, but you need to be able to listen. I think bad leaders are the ones that think they know all the answers. They have all the right answers and it's their way or the highway. Um, and they suffer in the long run because five brains think way more than just one, no matter how smart you are. So always surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. I think picking the right people to be by your side and listening to them, it's crucial for the success of the company. Know what your strengths are, but also know what your weaknesses are, and then bring people that can complement that. So you have a really, really strong team. Yeah, totally. I 100% agree with you. I think that's the best way to build a really high-performing team is actually by diversity. So having different people, as you say, maybe smarter than you, but also that brings to the table different set of expertise, knowledge, skills, as well as personalities. Because personalities yeah. have a big impact on, on the team formation. There are many books that say, you know, mm. what is going to be the best team? And the best team is essentially a combination of all of these different things because the cross-pollination yeah. is easier, right? I'm so glad you mentioned diversity because I do think that that is one of the main things that is missing mm. from our industry, not only the energy industry, but the VC industry. Um, and it has been proven time and time and time again that diverse teams have better results. Um, and it's not only diversity of gender, it's diversity of backgrounds, diversity of age, you know, diversity of race. So you can actually make better decisions because you have more voices in the room. Um, if you have five people that look exactly like you, you probably just have the same opinion on everything. So it's not a, a good decision-making process as it would be if you did have a diverse team. Does it mean that uh, you are maybe welcoming more diversity as well in the, in the startups and scale-up they're approaching Shell? Is something that you notice too? It's something we're trying really hard to work on. Um, mm -hmm. If you if if you've looked if you look at the numbers from 2021, the amount of money that went to female investors is less than two percent out of all the capital that was invested. 
um, which I think it's an outrageous number yes. um, because there are many, many smart, capable women founders. Um, that's one of the reasons why I personally decided to start something on the side where I only do angel investments into minority-led companies, um, whether it's African-Americans or Hispanics or females, because what happens is at the early stages, right, when you need family and friends to help you with your ideas, these people normally don't have that luxury, right? They don't have somebody that will say, oh, here you go, I'll give you 50 grand. Um, so it's it's how do we get, you know, more people founded? And then how do we get more people that are diverse writing those checks? Mm-hmm. Um, because there are a lot of people that are actually accredited investors and they don't realize that they are, and they could be investing in startups rather than investing in the stock market, for example. Yeah, totally. No, I agree. I'm so pleased actually to hear that, you know, you launched your own initiative to promote and foster encourage diversity and minority is a big thing because you're right. You know, when we talk about diversity, the first thing that comes to mind is always the gender, but there are many other diversity that need to be um, addressed. Yeah. addressed. Absolutely right. And we had an interesting, very interesting episode a few months ago about that. Um, all right, Andrea, I would like to ask you one thing about the integration in the corporate venture fund. So, what do you think are the, the real expectations of the funders when they're approaching you? I mean, of course, you said clearly there is a branding element, there is a financial investment element, but what else do you think the funders are looking for when they're coming to you? Some cases they're looking for a customer rather than an investor, mm. um, <laughs> which, you know, it, it's easy to make that, that um, yeah. mistake. Yes. I think that the second, Second biggest mistake I see is when founders come to us um, with oil and gas companies or maybe, you know, the newest drill bit. We don't invest any longer in oil and gas, Mm. pure oil and gas, unless it's something that can really move the needle in the energy transition. So I think, you know, we we see that happens a lot. Um, But I would say, you know, it's more than it's more than just the brand. I think the Shell brand is, you know, is masked around the world. We have the scale, we have the market, we can help our companies, um, you know, deploying countries that maybe they haven't deployed before. And we actually have a team of people within Shell Ventures that their main focus is implementation. So it means deployment. They're talking to our business stakeholders 24 seven to ensure how do we, you know, even before we make an investment, how does this technology work for you? What can we do to work together with this portfolio company? Um, And I think that's what makes Shell Ventures a bit special because we do have that team, implementation team that is working um, around the clock to get these companies, you know, um, help from Shell, whether it is marketing, whether it is, you know, with hiring, whether it is with scaling. Um, and, and we bring all of that with us. It's not just a check. We are very much involved in the, in the process. So when we invest in a company, we take poor seats. We like to see the companies, you know, grow and have a, a successful exit as any investor would. Right. Um, but a lot of people think, oh, because it's Shell, they're just going to give us the money and go away. Um, I'm sorry, that's not what happens. <laughs> that's serious business, right? So <laughs> we're doing something serious here. 
Yeah, because yeah. I mean, you, your point preceded my 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 next question actually. Because one of the question was, how are you helping them then after they become part of the family, right, of the shell ventures? Because I think one of the concern I heard in the past was maybe in not no, no, of course not related to shell, but in generally when it comes to corporate venture founding is the fact that okay, you know, we they open the doors to us, but then it's difficult then to get visibility to maybe roll out our technology, our initiative, because the organization is either still too conservative or maybe too busy on many other priorities, they don't give enough time to us. Is it is a kind of a challenge that sometimes you, you feel might exist? Absolutely. So as much as I would like to tell you, it's smooth sailing, we invest and then we deploy. Yeah. Um, that's not how it normally works. Um, we do have access to, like we give access to our customers, our supply chain network. Um, we bring that global access and financial strength. We support our portfolio companies, say, you know, if they're raising a, a follow-on round, we, we try to be really, really good partners. Um, however, like we can't dictate what the businesses and the assets are actually going to agree to mm. deploy. So, um that's where there's a little bit of a challenge sometimes mm. right it's like it's like turning the titanic um because in, in some cases there's also a conflict of interest um within our technical experts saying well you know the way we've been doing it for the last 50 years is just fine why exactly. do we need to change that's it? the point right it's um, is the company is bringing potential change or disruption to an existing you know business right. as usual situation right but as always, it has to come down to the business case. Yes. So if we can figure out where we can show these businesses, look, yes, this way has worked for 50 years, but if you do it this other way, we might be able to save you 60% or 70% or really have a huge impact on carbon emissions, which is what we're trying to do. Then we have a, you know, a, a better chance of deploying the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not easy, but we, again, we have a, a great implementation team whose job is exactly that, trying to convince the internal stakeholders, well, this is why you should try this. Um, in some cases, I would say in most cases it works, but in some cases it doesn't work and we can't, um, we will continue to support the portfolio yeah. companies, um, but yeah, we can't force the business to, to deploy the tech if they don't want to. And to some extent, uh, especially for the rollout implementation, I, I think it, I think it's really like another typical change initiative at the end of the day, because you are bringing change anyway to the organization, and you really need to start working with the stakeholders. You know, trying to make sure that resistance is well addressed. There are the, the good answer. I think you're right. The business case is important as, as well as I think the need for change. Maybe people and employees try to understand why that implementation, that change will be important for the entire organization, right? So I'm sure there is an element, not necessarily friction, because that's quite normal, though having the sort of conversations internally about, about this, right? And one of the things that we actually do at Shell Ventures is we, before we make the investment, we decide, you know, we talk with our internal stakeholders and decide, is this a financial investment? Is this a business you know, super strategic investment, or is this something maybe in between? And based on that answer, then we decide how much time and effort to put into this. 
um, into this implementation, right? So if we're just making an investment because we as Shell Ventures think it's in a strategic space, uh, but the business might not be ready, um, we go ahead and invest without the business and without hopefully promising to the startup that we will deploy it within Shell, but we will do our best. Um, but you know, if it is a business kind of funded, supported investment, then we have to have that implementation plan before we even write the check. Yeah. I think what I love about what you said is the that you clarify expectations since the get going, since the first day with the founders, at least that's my understanding. And I think that's great because as always, when there is kind of a merge acquisition or investment, one of the major reasons why this relationship didn't work is because they actually started without having clear understanding what was success meant for both parties, right? So clarify expectation, I think it's super important. So I love what you said. Critical. It's critical. Now, discuss about implementation and, and you have the full team, but also you mentioned at the beginning, you know, one of the reasons why the venture was built was really to drive innovation into the, into the market and not just for the organization, of course. What did you notice about driving innovation in general, you know, without taking the specific example of one startup or the other, or maybe one specific technology, but how do you see traditional, you know, oil company like Shell, because it used to be a traditional oil company to drive it innovation internally? I mean, in other words, where did you notice potential friction that wasn't more about the generation of people inside, the type of leadership, maybe they helped or didn't help, what, what did you notice about driving innovation in a, in a large, large and historical organization like Shell? Yeah, I think every organization and human beings in general, right, they're afraid of change. So when you're talking about innovation and changing the way that you know for something completely new, there's always that kind of like that risk aversion. Our yes. industry is known for being very risk averse mm. and with good reason, right? We can't afford to have, you know, another Macondo, right? So you don't want to try something new unless it's absolutely necessary and beneficial. So I, I think it's not only our industry, but I do feel like, you know, the energy industry in general, it's a little bit more risk averse than, than other industries because of the high cost to pay if something doesn't work out, totally. right? Totally. It's not like when, not like Silicon Valley, when they come up with an app, the app doesn't work. Well, they lost a lot of money, that's it, right? If we try something new and it doesn't work, it's a bad day in the office for a lot of people. <laughs> so um, so I think that, that, you know, that's something that we have to deal with. And we have learned, you know, baby steps are better, um, but at the same time, Sometimes you just need to take a risk, maybe in a smaller pilot. Um, you need to try the tech, you know, in a smaller asset before you deploy it to the full field. Um, but yeah, I think that we have definitely learned throughout the years. Um, it still makes us move a bit slower than um, a normal VC firm mm -hmm. um, because we have to go through all these things, right? We are a very safety conscious company. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we need to make sure that we check 
all those boxes, right? So getting an investment from Shell might be very different to getting an investment from BlackRock because we're looking at, okay, do you have HSC procedures in place? What are you gonna do about ethics and compliance? You know, we need to make sure that the companies we're investing in are operating to the level of safety that Shell operates in. Yeah, I love that. And I think that is one of the most uh, misunderstood things in these industries. For those people, they don't work in an oil energy industry. Most of them, they believe that driving innovation, bringing um, new technologies is, is difficult because leaders are reluctant. No, the reality is most, the main reason is because this industry has been built on safety, um, risk mitigation, processing procedures, very strict guidelines. So that's normal for the type of industry. Sometimes people think, especially the younger generation, right? They think, well, I'm going to work maybe with other big tech companies. It may be easier for them to, to drive new technology. In the reality, actually, I think the oil energy has more opportunities as well, but they need to realize that is an industry that has these specific attributes, if you like. Andrea, so the last few questions, what might prevention venture from getting the results that they want in the future? What do you think is going to be the main challenge moving forward? That's a really good question. Um, so we just announced last November a new $1.4 billion fund um, wow. specifically directed at energy transition. So we have this, you know, substantial amount of funding. Um, I think the biggest challenge is going to be to deploy that very wisely, um, mm. making sure that we back the correct companies um, and that we continue to attract and, and keep the right talent in, in our ventures team. So I think, you know, that's going to be the biggest challenge. I think finding the companies is the fun part, but then making sure that they get to a successful stage that's the hard work. Um, and, and I think, you know, you need people who are engaged, who are motivated, who are, you know, 100% on it. And it's not just like, oh, I made 10 investments this year. Um, but, you know, but that they stick with them and that they are able to add value to our portfolio company. So if you ask me, that would be our biggest challenge. Um, but maybe you ask me in three months and I'll tell you something. You there know? might be something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Andrea, last question, then I have the last few questions, just want to say a bit more about you. So what is maybe one question I did not ask you that you think was important for the audience to know about you and the Shell Ventures and the energy transition? So back to the environmentalist comment, yes. right? Yes. I, I have seen a lot of activists and you know people just saying oh shell is bad you know mm -hmm. you need to stop producing oil i think that that type of attitude is hurtful to you know the people that are really trying to make a difference um we are really really trying here um to to turn it around the world needs energy you know we are going to continue to provide the energy that's needed um, but we need to be able to work together. So we need to make sure that people understand this isn't something that Shell it, in its own can fix. This isn't something that any one company can fix. This is something that needs to be done by governments, by consumers, by corporations. So climate change is something that is affecting all of us. And we need to make sure that we are working together and not against each other to solve this problem. 
which I think it's a it's a huge challenge that we face. It is. And beautiful message, actually. Perfect to end uh, our conversation. Love that. And I, I fully agree with you. I think, I think that is important. All right. So, Andrea, so last four questions, really just a quick answer from you, because um, I'm curious. So what is maybe one big lesson that you really learned through your career so far? Two lessons. I think, as I mentioned before, everything happens for a reason. It's easy to get disappointed when things don't go your way, especially after you work really, really hard on something and it doesn't happen. It's very easy to get, you know, disgruntled and like defeated. But if you think about all those occasions in the past and what happened afterwards, things always turn out for the best. Um, and then the second thing is you need to be able to pivot based on that, right? Like you can't just stay stuck in one thing. Right? You need to be willing to change. You need to be willing to fail, but fail quickly and move on. Learn from your mistakes and keep going because that's how life is. You know, it's never going to be a perfect road um, where everything is magical and everything works out. Oh, no, life is a roller coaster. So in that perspective, <laughs> you are 100%. And by the way, the pivoting is perfect for the kind of conversation we've been having so far talking about startup. On the other hand, is there anything that you would have maybe done different in your career looking back? So I think probably the, I know it's gonna sound bad, but I, I don't think so. Because if I hadn't made those mistakes, I wouldn't be where I am. Yes. So I think, you know, again, back to the, everything happens for a reason. Have I done bad things or things that I, I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that, absolutely. but. If I hadn't done those things, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I think, you know, life happens the way it needs to happen. You just have to take it and learn from it and move on. No, I agree. And by the way, you are not the first or the only one saying this, answering this question by saying, no, nothing. And I, I don't want to change anything because life is is a, is a is a result of all the cons all the experiences that we that we have in, in so that, that's why that, that's so that's important because we learn from them especially if we learn from them so yeah. so love that in terms of performance you had a brilliant career so is there any specific moment in your career or maybe before when you had your best performance ever you you know what you know when you have that feeling that everything is really working well, no, maybe it's, maybe it's not forever, but if there is there is there are some yeah. moments, right? Do you remember what happened? What was in place at the time to allow you to to get to that level of performance? So, I'm gonna sound repetitive, but I'm gonna go back to my previous answer about team and surrounding <laughs> yourself with a really good group of people. So, for me, my job is more than my job. You know, it's my life. It's I spend mm -hmm. more time at work than I do with my kids. So mm -hmm. it's really making sure that you're surrounded by people who are not looking at you as an idol, but really helping you grow and yes. that you are surrounded by people that are helping you learn. So I work at my best, like I perform my best when I'm learning, whether, you know, I'm learning about a topic or I'm just learning about, a you know, a person. So, you know, I've, I've had really good teams deal teams where everybody's just kind of like their mind is aligned and in the right place and we all want the same thing and then once you do it, it it's amazing 
right? Because you can put, I mean, human beings are amazing at putting stuff together when, when you bring a few brains together. So um, for me, that's, you know, having the right team, having the right people surrounding you, making sure that you're not surrounded by people that bring you down or by people that don't add any value. Love that. Yes, I agree. Again, 100%. We are so much aligned. So let's see whether we are not aligned on the last question. So maybe <laughs> what is one book that really made an impact on, on your life or maybe on your career? Yes. Um, so it's a book. I can't remember the name of the author off the top of my head, but okay. the title the title is Brave, Not Perfect. And okay. it's a book I recommend anyone to read. Um, it focuses on the, gen the gender differences between females and males and how even at an early age, we teach our females to be perfect rather than brave and how that has consequences later on in life. And for me, you know, just thinking, you know, I, I'm constantly in my head thinking, you need to be brave, not perfect. You need to be brave, not perfect. That's why I'm doing this, even though I have no voice. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not perfect. I'm imperfect in so many ways. But, but you know, but I, I do it because it's something that I want, I really wanted to do. So uh, it's, a, it's a great book, especially, you know, if you have kids, if you, if you um, are surrounded by females at work, um, mm -hmm. It's a really, really eye-opening book of the, again, I forgot her name, but she's the CEO of Girls Who Code um, in the US. And she started that because when you're coding, you're failing. So it's not be afraid of failure, fail, but fail fast, get up, keep going. And I think that's a message that really resonated with me. That's wonderful suggestion because I'm not aware about that book. So that's amazing because that's what we want to do. So bringing more ideas to, to the audience. And we'll put anyway the book in the show notes so people that can have a look Perfect. at it. That's amazing. Andrea, uh, where people should go if they want to be in touch with you, understand more what you do, or maybe connect for other reasons, what is the best platform? Um, yeah, so LinkedIn is one. If you want to connect with me directly, our Shell Ventures website also has information on all the people that work at Shell Ventures. There are many more people in Shell Ventures that are way smarter than I am. <laughs> so um, make sure to reach out to them. But um, yeah, there's, there's tons of information about our portfolio companies, the type of companies we invest in, our investment theses. So if, if you are looking for you know, a Shell to make an investment, I would definitely recommend go to the website um, and always you know, um, feel free to reach out. Amazing. Andrea, thank you so much for your time today. I love the conversation. And, and actually, thank you even more again, because you're, you don't feel well today. So I really appreciate that you spend the time with me today. My pleasure. As this is a very interesting topic. I really would like to hear from you and understanding what you think about this. So please send me any comments either uh, on LinkedIn or you can send me via email at andrea at andreapetroni.com. You can find anyway these links on the show notes. And, um, and by the way, if you like what we shared, I strongly recommend actually to leave a review because, you know, as a podcaster, we live with reviews. So the only way for our episode and our podcast to grow is by having positive reviews. So I appreciate that. And also sharing with your friends and colleagues if you think they might be interested. And final note, 
I normally um, summarize the findings of each episode, even the ones with the guests, uh, on my website. And I write every Thursday a very interesting uh, short summary about what we share. So if you don't want to miss that and you prefer uh, reading, I strongly recommend going to my website, www.andreapetrone.com slash blog. You can subscribe there. I'm not sending any sales thing, just big, good insights of my experience with the podcast and my work with clients. So thank you so much for listening to this episode and I look forward to seeing you next time.